Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello. And welcome to Whispers from the Heart, a mini-series of conversations about our relationships with the world's greatest animation studio, Studio Ghibli. I'm Michael Leader. And I'm Steph Watts, and we've seen the lot of them. And I'm Jake Cunningham, and they'll always save the day. So join us on our quest into the glorious world of Ghibli. Hello, Jake. Hello, Steph. I am so excited about this week's episode. This miniseries in general has been so fun talking with people about their relationships with Studio Ghibli as creators, as execs at Ghibli. Um, But what's great about this episode is so far we've been talking with people that I've, I've been fans of, you know, all along. Cartoon Saloon, Domi, She, Steve Alpert. I read his book, so talking to him was a revelation of a different sort. Today, we're talking to somebody who, whose work I know very little about. Steph, could you tee up today's guest? Yeah, sure. So today we're talking to Rebecca Sugar, uh, a person of many, many talents. She's a storyboarder, an animator, a songwriter, a director. So she worked on Pendleton Ward's Cartoon Network show Adventure Time for a bit before going on to create Steven Universe. Um, and that show has been running for quite a while and she's been kind of um exec producing it she writes a lot of the songs for it it's very kind of music heavy um and yeah just being able to talk to her about the whole kind of journey of this series um the influences behind it we kind of discovered that she has a lot of anime recommendations and um a lot of influences coming from Ghibli when she was younger and other kind of Japanese animations so yeah really really exciting to talk to her about everything Ghibli, everything animation today. So here is our chat with Rebecca Sugar. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I guess, like, the first thing to really talk about, Rebecca, is kind of what your kind of relationship with anime with animation as a kind of art form like growing up what kind of things did you watch what kind of really got you into that um into that form oh gosh well I, my my dad uh, my dad is a graphic designer and he he's a really big fan of animation and so I grew up with access to a lot of animation because of my dad's uh, he particularly all of the uh, Looney Tunes shorts we would watch together. He had them all on Laserdisc when I was a kid, and um, we would watch those as a family. Uh, but also uh, like NFB shorts from Canada, like like independent animation. And he had Chuck Jones's books, so I would pour over them as a kid. So I always sort of understood that um, th- that this was something. It, it it was never really magic to me. It was always something that artists made and I was really interested in the process. Um, and then I also had a lot of anime growing up because of that. I had a, a VHS of Totoro that I would watch over and over again. Um, but I also, you know, over the years, you know, for, for Hanukkah, I, yeah, I got a copy of Princess Mononoke and, um, you know, Millennium Actress and on DVD over the years, uh, just everything I could get my hands on. I was also really interested in stop motion and art, the independent Ardman films. And uh, I, was, I was lucky to have access to a lot of, a lot of independent films um, and just work from all over the world. And, and to also get to be aware of that as I was watching it. My dad grew up watching Astro Boy when he was a kid um, and watching a, a lot of stuff from Japan and, and Tezuka's stuff. Um, so he had a lot of opinions about anime and, and also I was really fascinated by the, all of the influence, the influence of, you know, Mobius on Miyazaki, the influence of Disney on Asama Tezuka. You could really see, uh, everyone being inspired by each other all around the world, you know, for over the century of animation existing as an art form. And I just love kind of connecting those dots and, uh, seeing, you know, kind of realizing like all, all this stuff with crystals, like this is very French comics. You can sort of see these parallels happening and people getting excited by each other's comics and working that into their work. Uh, as I got a little older, I started to try and, and follow all of those threads and, and really understand and just read a bunch of interviews and, and learn about everyone's process. So I, I grew up near DC and there was an animation 
summer camp at the Children's Museum there, which I went to as a kid. So I got to do animation when I was pretty young. I mean, it was very, very rough, but, uh, but uh, I got a sense of of what the process was and um and, and what animation different. process are you doing at that point is that are you starting at that point just with like hand drawn on oh, this is, yeah yeah paper and pencil i mean this is <laughs> when would this have have been sort of in the mid 90s so um yeah i didn't have access to flash or anything that would all come a little bit later um so yeah, everything I was doing was pencil and paper, and I and I I am a real luddite about it. So even when I went to college, um, in sort of the late two thousands, I was still working uh, pencil and paper and ink. I colored digitally, um, but I was one of the holdouts when people were were switching to to Flash, and uh, some of my classmates were using Photoshop, and I insisted in doing everything on paper and I'm really glad that I did because that's actually how Steven Universe is animated is, is uh, pencil and paper and ink and then colored digitally so I I really understood the time and the the mindset of, of doing a film that way because that's how I had done my films. Wow. Um, you, you mentioned um, the VHS of My Neighbor Totoro there was that your first Ghibli uh, when you when you watched that what what were you thinking because like for me, this has been a, a huge journey of learning and admiring it, so many things. And I'd love to know what your first impressions were when you first stumbled upon this wonderful studio. Oh, I just watched it over and over and over again. And I think at that point, I mean, I'm a, I was five or so, so I didn't <laughs> I didn't quite have a sense um, yet of what it meant to, to be watching a Ghibli film. Um, you know, and I was and I was watching the the dub and I, I didn't really know, you know, that that would have been a translation that they would have added a bunch of dialogue and kind of put their spin on it. But, but I uh, was very attached to it. I'm, I'm still fairly attached to that dub just because I'm so nostalgic for it. Um, and it, I, it just always stuck with me because of all of the little details, uh, the way that they're, the way that the car shakes, the, the truck is, as they're driving to the house and, um, when they take a bite of, of a cucumber and it's cold, there's like all these really um, just visceral details. And it's it's funny because I was also, again, I was also watching a lot of Looney Tunes, which is also very visceral, especially like Rod Scribner kind of wrinkly physical moments um, in those cartoons. And it was just such a different sort of tactile um, visceral experience in in Totoro that I was attached to, you know, just this, you really feel like you can, uh, you could touch the cold water and um, like you're in that big empty field. I, I was also really, um, I would get really shaken by the end, particularly the, the goat um, and being like alone uh, in, in these big wide open fields with the, with the oppressive sun beating down and, and not knowing sort of, what's going to happen or what you're going to do. And all of that just really got into my head and under my skin as a kid. Cause it's so, there's something so real about it. So upsetting about it when they find the, the sandal in the water and it's not hers. I mean, and I think when I was young, sometimes I would watch the first half and, and just have to stop at least before that scary goat. Cause it would just be so intense. I think as a, as a little kid, all these really, 
um, tactile moments really stuck with me. It's just like so pleasurable to to watch it and and, and feel it um, and sort of feel like the way it would feel to be in the country. Oh, and they're sitting in the bath um, together and the wind is howling. It just feels like you're there. And I think that's the thing about um, about so many of these movies is that the moments and the feelings are so observed. Um, the moths gathering around the light, being sort of pulling the hammock outside, like these just really, really small details. Um, and, and honestly, as a, as a kid, these were experiences that I had never had. I'd never been in a house like that or in, in the countryside like that. Um, yeah, I was a kid in the Maryland suburbs. But I felt like I was there. Like I felt like I had crawled under those roots and picked those flowers and set them on the desk. I mean, because they're just so specific. Every moment feels so specific and so observed that it really puts you puts you inside of those moments. And and this is once I saw a lot of the other films and also the newer films as they were coming into existence um, from Ghibli that would always strike me as as this. Just the thing that they're, they're so incredible for is these really, really specific moments and specific feelings that you just you get to inherit through through the film. Yeah, there is such like a kind of magic of the everyday in them and those little details. Like you said, even if you haven't experienced that, you do almost feel like you have lived it. And like, well, I think a film that's really similar to that is Whisper of the Heart, which you have said is your favorite Ghibli. That's my favorite movie. I mean, of, of all movies. Uh, yes. And that one so much so, and it's so naturalistic and the, and the moments are so small um, and so specific. Um, when the characters are, are singing concrete road together, it's sort of one continuous shot and you sort of, you feel like, that little tense awkwardness of sharing something that you, you know, that's silly, but you also worked hard on. Everything about the way that that movie describes the creative process is just so dear to me. Um, and I think also uh, just because the way that it approaches um, art, like, like I feel like usually when, and again, there are several Ghibli movies that I think have just a, really, really beautiful metaphor and description for the creative process. And Kiki's Delivery Service is one of the best uh, ways to describe artist block that I've ever seen. It's so powerful. Um, but what I love about Whisper of the Heart is that usually when there are stories about being an artist or being a writer, it tends to be about through the eccentricity of it or these like bolt of lightning ideas or, or, um, you know, waiting for this inspiration to kind of come, come through you and having these eureka moments and, and whisper the heart is not like that at all. It's all about craftsmanship and learning to be a, a master of your craft and making a lot of work and making a lot of mistakes while you're making that work and just being totally unpolished. I just, I just never seen anything like that before. And then also to so to show how beautiful that raw material is, like how sweet and funny concrete road is, even just as a translation and the way that she's when she's waiting as her book is being read with her head and her knees. I mean, that's just so 
real or, or you know, slumping to the floor after working all night. Um, I just, it's just so amazing to see, to see that, especially like being a teenager and wanting to be an artist really bad, it felt so relatable. And I was always really interested in the craftsmanship aspect. Um, I could never really relate to, like, because I was into, I, I think this is part of growing up, understanding that cartoons and commercial art were made by people and really studying that. Um, I always wanted to be a commercial artist and I always looked at it as a job and as, as a craft um, more than a, a sort of eccentric out, out there sort of art, a spiritual artistic experience. Although I, I'm interested, I think now I'm trying to sort of learn how to see it that way, but I loved the, the like just hard work study aspect of it. And Wish for the Heart is so much about that. Just uh, really ch chipping away to, to become masterful at this at these ideas in it. And then the, I feel like the craftsmanship element is really hit home uh, by all of the items in the shop and by the Baron and, you know, the, the idea that there can be all these meaning, all this meaning, you know, in the clock or in this sculpture or in these objects and that that kind of meaning or that kind of inspiration, you know, could also be in a book and could also be in a song. And I think ultimately is also in this animated film, which is in and of itself an expression of the mastery of a craft. It's, it's just the medium is so the message in this movie where ultimately the movie is being shared with you and you're, you're seeing the culmination of somebody's pursuit of a mastery of, of this craft, of the craft of animation. I think that that's just, to, to have such a cohesive concept, but then also have it feel uh, so naturalistic and um, just these little slice of life snippets uh, that it's, it's just, it just feels beautiful. It just feels like a window into everyone's process, everyone's childhood. And again, you know, that's based off a very, very specific place. So you're also given this chance to just be uh, in, in a very specific loca location and, and feel what it feels like to be there, but then also to be uh, inside of the characters' minds and inside of that imagination and the, and the contrast of that. It's just so, so beautiful. I love Wish for the Heart. Um, and yeah. visually, it's just so stunning. I, I think it, you can miss sometimes um, because the story is so naturalistic, how unbelievable the, the animation is in that film. And these moments where you have trains going by and cars driving by and a crowd of 20 people all walking in the same shot. I mean, that is so hard. I, you know, it, you, I think when you watch an animated movie and there's you know, a dragon breathing fire or something, it's, it's catchy. It's not something that you see every day. You can kind of miss how a shot like that with a moving train and 20, 20 people all, all overlapping and interacting with each other is it, just a, that's so difficult to do. And it just goes by because it's so perfectly done. Um, all of these moments and, and just little actions. I mean, animating someone throwing a punch is a lot easier than animating someone getting up out of a chair. These moments in Whisper Behind, that's just, it's so hard to do these little moments. Uh, and there's, there's all these details too. Like um, there are cars that are painted like cells, even though they don't move, just so you feel like they could suddenly move. 
that like on a desk there'll be there'll be pencils or, or library cards that are also inked and, and painted like cells and they never they ne- you never they never touch them this is actually also in Kiki's delivery service um, but just the thought that goes into that the fact that you understand when you're watching a piece of animation that if something looks like a cell it could potentially move and I would talk about this a lot with my um, designer on Steven Universe Danny Hines um, who I believe he referred to it as uh, threat of action, which is that you understand when you look at something painted that way that it could move. Um, and, and it's just a way of using these really, really specific details of, from within the medium to sort of interact with people's minds based on what they understand about watching an animated film. It's just on such another level. It's amazing. I just wanted to go back to what you were saying about kind of making your craft and maybe it's not as much as you have this kind of epiphany and suddenly your idea is there fully formed or anything. It's more the kind of building up of that. Um, Did you kind of find that when you were making Steven Universe? Was there any sudden kind of, ah, I know what I want to like make or was it more of that kind of slow, like trying things out, trying again type thing? Oh, it's it's always pretty slow. For, well, I guess slow isn't the right word. Um, I mean, I've always sort of chipped away and I really, when I get stuck, I, I go into a, a sort of study mode and I start, you know, looking at other choices that people have made or, or just I start sort of ferociously practicing something over and over again and, until I feel like I have my head around it. Um, that's a really meditative thing uh, for me. Um, yeah, and also I think with animation, especially with Steven, it was so collaborative. I mean, there was very, there was not a lot of, of me sitting alone uh, waiting, you know, for the spirit to flow. So I, I didn't have the, the room to work that way on that show because we just had to make so much so quickly. And it was also being made with this big team. So it really had everything to do with sitting down in, in rooms and discussing what, what we were excited about, what we were unsure about, uh, a lot of, um, especially with sort of story points, you know, I, I might have, have a sort of vibe or image that I was interested in, but it wouldn't be, nothing would be fully formed. And I, I don't know if other people work that way where they just suddenly get 100% of something, but at, at least for me, um, I tend to gravitate towards a theme or a visual or an idea um, you know, it, really early on in the show, I would, I would say, you know, I really want to do a, a Ruby and Sapphire Western. And then, you know, years and years went by as we, it was sort of a, a, just a silly visual. And then we finally figured out a way to do it years later for um, the episode. The question, there's, there's a lot of things like that. Um, kind of starting, starting with a visual or a set piece and then, and then figuring out a way to make that make sense. We're realizing that it doesn't, this is, this is what often happened, realizing that it actually doesn't make any sense. And then um, using that conversation to arrive at something that does make a little more sense. So it's, it's very, very collaborative. And I, I don't know if it, um, I don't know if there's much of a parallel really to a lot of Ghibli films because Tommy Zaki will sit down and storyboard them in, entirely himself. So I think that that's a very, very, very different process than Steven Universe, which was extremely collaborative. We had uh, eight writer storyboarders and multiple writers and we would all, be taking and sometimes I would board and we would just take pieces and bring them together and pitch and and of course um, there's definitely a similar process in terms of the team working at, at Ghibli sharing what they're working on and putting things up for review um, but the the story and the boarding process seems to be very 
very Miyazaki based and Whisper of the Heart also being storyboarded by Hayao Miyazaki. You can see so much of his, his hand and his opinions, but then you can also see a lot of, I mean, you can really feel Yoshimi Kondo's uh, opinions on that and interpretations as he, as he directs it. Cause that, that movie doesn't feel, uh, it feels so different than, than the others. You can, you can feel all of that really, really meticulous care um, that sets, uh, I mean, they, all the movies have a lot of meticulous care, but a, a very Yoshimi Kondo style meticulous care in, in every scene. And so there might be a lot of differences in, in how they get made, but there's, um, well, sometimes more direct than others, uh, lots of Ghibli in the Steven Universe. Would you be able to take us through some of the, the references that you might have snuck in to the show, whether that is direct or more inspirational, thematic, just ideas that you feel may have come through from Ghibli and influenced you and the show? Oh, my gosh. I, I don't know if I... I'm sure that there are moments that are really, really direct references, but we're all so influenced by those movies in general that it's really hard to point to a single moment. Um, you know, it's, and I think also in, in terms of being inspired by Ghibli, it's, it's like, it's hard not to be inspired and not to aspire to do something at the level of those films. I, Cause it's, it's just at a, at a certain point, it's just unbelievably solid, beautiful filmmaking that you, you can't avoid wanting to, to do something, um, you know, that, that visceral and that careful and that observed. Uh, for me, I think, I mean, there's a lot in, oh, okay. I, there's one, there's a scene, there's, there's a very specific scene where, um, Pink Diamond is in the, uh, she's in the, the chamber where she can project what's going on on earth, but can't actually be physically down there. And the, and the amethysts have just come out of the walls um, in her kindergarten. And there's a moment where she, she tries to talk to one and she says, welcome to earth. And then the amethyst just runs right through her because it's a, it's a projection. That's a very, very direct reference to a scene in future boy Conan, um, the, the TV show that, the, the Ghibli team worked on in the seventies. There's a, there's a scene where um, they're in, it's, it's basically a one-to-one -one. they're in a, they're in a room uh, and the solar power has turned everything on and, and there are children playing and one of them runs um, right through one of the main characters and, and deeply upsets her that, that this, this isn't real. Um, that was a very, that was a very direct reference. So there's a, there's a, I think probably more than anything, there are a lot of references to, uh, Future Boy Conan, which which we were all very inspired by and, and watched, uh, really had had around and and watched together as a crew. We were really inspired by Animal Treasure Island as well, especially with a lot of the water effects, um, and the the, treat, the treatment of the effects animation that and that the way that that's so stylized. But yeah, Future Boy Conan, um, we we would look to a lot. And I was also really interested in that because it was for television and the solutions that they had for, uh, you know, t TV animation to achieve this, this level, level of quality through TV. And you could see, it was also interesting to see the choices of what mattered to them and what didn't. For example, there are pans that don't necessarily hook up 
that'll suddenly pop. And that just obviously wasn't what was important to them to have this perfectly looping pan. Um, what was important to them were these really organic character moments. Uh, what was important to them was seeing Conan do things with his feet. <laughs> you know, they, these choices were really, really interesting um, to us. And then also, you know, having, having these scenes kind of having, having this action kind of take this big break in high Harbor was really interesting to us. Um, all the ways that the characters interacted uh, and behaved. We, we pulled a lot from that. We, we made a lot of visual references to either Jim Z's design, uh, things like that. Um, the design of Mr. Smiley was really heavily inspired by one of the Future Boy Conan characters. That, so, yeah, it's, it's pretty inexorable from the show uh, how big, how, how much we're fans <laughs> of, of those films and, and uh, really of Future Boy Conan, which we were all really, really looking to. Um, I think also just knowing that, that that was such an early work and reading Starting Point there's so much about all of the epiphanies that they had working together on that show. Um, so this being, that wasn't their first uh, show. They'd worked on many other shows, but, um, you know, us starting out on Steven Universe and, and we had worked on other shows too, but finally having a show that, that we really felt like was ours and we could experiment with, we were really looking at Future Boy Conan um, to see the kind of, decisions that were being made there as we entered um, a show where we could try and explore some of those choices. I also uh, chuckled the first time I watched Steven Universe and got to the episode called Kiki's Pizza Delivery Service. Oh yes, well, that's a very direct. That's a nice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, there's certainly a lot. There's some deep and some surface. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's interesting what you're saying about kind of um, – like I guess TV animation being quite different from film animation because um, I mean I'm going through a bunch of like anime TV at the moment I guess like Neon Genesis Evangelion things like that where it's like you can kind of see the process going on in it and sometimes it will be kind of like shortcuts to get around maybe time or money issues around like the certain episodes and things like that where it will be like more of a focus on a character than necessarily like all the background moving or something like that. And Ooh, yeah. I, I, it's just really interesting that you have that kind of split between the two. Well, that whole show, I mean, I, I, sh I watched it again recently. Um, you know, I watched it as, as a teenager, um, but watching it again after show running was a completely different experience because I feel like that show is, is about running a television show. Um, and in, in those moments, like, like you're saying, there are, there are definitely creative, um, cost-effective moments, you know, get into in a room with these monolithic blocks, yeah. um, you know, that don't have lip sync. And, you know, even the fact that he covers his mouth so you can't see it move, these are all strategies. But then also story-wise, you know, it's about someone who, who wants to do something that they feel is extremely important and is desperately asking for more money because they just can't do it. Uh, on the budget that they currently have <laughs> and then, you know, ultimately realizing that um, even though they, even though they feel that it's really critical to do this, maybe it's only because they want approval or why are they even making this art that they feel like they need to make? Maybe they don't need to make that art at all. And, and maybe 
uh, the whole thing, you know, doesn't even have to have an ending or maybe it does, or maybe it should just be what everyone wants it to be, or maybe it doesn't have to be what anyone wants it to be because maybe realizing that all of that is nonsense was the process of making the art, you know, it's all, it's all in there. But then I, I think the part that I could really understand um, watching it again was, you know, having to go to people and say, please, for, for this to be right, I need a bigger bun. I need a bigger bun. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, and also seeing that manifest in the choices, um, you know, which which are really, it's interesting because you know, uh, I, I don't know if you've seen Gun, Gunbuster, the Gunbuster show from the uh, from the '80s, which is also Gynax. You know, that kind of had a a similar situation where it's like when they arrive at the end, you can see some real budgetary constraints. Um, you know, but also a lot of really creative solutions um and i wonder how affected i mean you, well you can also see here's here's another thing um, um watching his and her circumstances um Karikano, after watching uh evangelion have you have you seen Karikano? that was really inspiring to watch because that's ano has has finished eva which was obviously a, a very difficult experience you can tell just from watching the the show, um, and then when you watch Karikano, you can see the steam being blown off from the experience of Evangelion. There's even a, a there's sort of an infamous scene where the characters are all on popsicle sticks, um, you know, just being puppeted around. And then there's there's a credit sequence where the where piles of animation drawings are just being thrown into a fire. You know, there's like real uh, energy there. Um, and then there's uh, you know uh, these moments of, of really sort of full and stunning animation. And then these also really clever solutions where you can hear the characters speaking, but you're just looking at the sky or you can hear the characters fighting, but you're looking at, there's like a gag card. That's like, you know, we'll be right back. Things like that. These are, these are really cost effective um, and necessary uh, tricks. I actually, I was watching that show about halfway through Steven universe. And, it, and that was a big inspiration for, Ava has been a big inspiration for everything. Um, but Karikana was a big inspiration for We Need to Talk and some of the Greg Rose um, uh, stuff that we were doing toward the middle. And I was really, it's really interesting to see the way that show you know, explores a relationship actually happening. It, do, it doesn't tease it out like a lot of animes do. Like you actually sort of see, see this dynamic between these people, but then you also, you also see, see the, um, Again, that that steam that's being blown off, which which at the time when I when I was really trying to navigate television animation pipeline, I was just like, oh, these choices are brilliant. It's just so so smart. Um, well, that that idea of getting to blow off steam with the next creative project, that's something that we spoke about in our episode about Paranoia Agent, the Satoshi Kon series, and. I think it feels like we're going on a natural progression as we get more serious <laughs> and more grown up. We've gone from Totoro all the way to um, uh, Paranoia Agent. Um, but Rebecca, what what do you think of when you think of Satoshi Kon? What have you got from his works? Um, oh my gosh. Well, I, I loved Paranoia Agent. I, I was watching that as it was coming out. Um, I'm not sure what year that was. Um, I remember really being... Um, impressed by the happy family planning episode. Oh, dark. And I've never seen anything like that. And yeah, to recover really, from it. <laughs> it's really intense. Um, and I already, at that point, I already loved Satoshi Khan. Um, 
I, I think I had gotten a copy of, I'd gotten a copy of Millennium Actress as a present, um, which I watched once and made me cry. So I, I really haven't watched it that many times. This is, I'm very, very affected by it. Um, but again, the artistry is just incredible. Um, I saw, I think that was the first I saw. I, I didn't see his other films. Till, I didn't see Perfect Blue till later. Um, but I really liked Joan and Bat or um, Paranoia Agent. Actually, my editor, my animatic editor on Steven Universe, uh, Lauren Hecht, is a big StrushCon fan. We would talk about him all the time. Um, and she really loved Paranoia Agent specifically. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I got to see, he visited um, my college, SVA, when I was going to school there for a showing of Paprika. Um, so I'm lucky enough to have had the chance to be in a room with him. And we had a Q&A afterwards. Um, and I asked which of the dreams were were dreams that he had had. And he, and he told me which ones. Is the, the one with the whale in particular was a, was a really specific dream that he had had. Um, and it was interesting to see Paprika also in light of, of Paranoia Agent and, and some of the, the themes that were that were that were threaded through. I just I just thought that show was so amazing. Um, just the intro with everybody laughing is so striking. And and he always uh, he always works with this one composer that, that he really really loves. And you can you can really feel uh, how much that music is uh, is inspiring the visuals and and kind of creating this cohesive feeling. Um, and that was inspiring to me too, especially you know putting together my team, knowing you know how how much uh, Hamizaki and Satoshi Kon both talked about being really connected to the musical team, the, the, the composers that they were working with, um, and how much that was informing uh, the choices that they were making. Uh, I I really took that to heart. Uh, I took I took a lot of these thoughts to heart when assembling. Um, my team for Steven, you know, and, and the ways, the ways that uh, the different Ghibli artists would sort of in, inform and inspire each other, which I, which I read a lot about in Starting Point. You know, it's really, it's really interesting. And there, there are a lot of different sort of styles for um, running a show. I suppose we also know from Ano that working with Hayao Miyazaki is extremely difficult uh, um, uh, so, you know, so that uh, there's definitely more more of a, a story to that than than I may be um, deeply aware of, very superficially aware of. It. But um, but yeah, I think that there are really different styles, and and I see it with with a lot of different different artists. I I also had a chance to visit Sainsaru, for example. Um, we worked with Masaki Yuasa in his studio, and. The, the animators there have a lot of um, room to, to really express themselves and are, are coming from all over the world to be together, you know, and, and work with the vision of this person. And um, just seeing the way that, that people would assemble their teams and, and the degree of flexibility they would give and, and how much of a back and forth they would be. I, I was really studying that a lot um, and learning about that a lot also on Adventure Time because I got to be a part of an environment like that, which was in that case, very, very loose. We were given a lot um, of chances to put ourselves into the show. Um, I think, you know, with, with Ghibli, and I think also with, with Satoshi Kon, they, they have such, 
such clear visions, um, I think it would be very, very different um, than, <laughs> than the Stephen process or the Adventure Time process, which was sort of all in, like, like everyone, everyone pitching on things. You know, it's, it's clear that, that those films have, have this very strong singular vision. But then, I, you know, I've also seen footage of those rooms. Um, there was, what was it? There was some footage I had seen where um, there was a meeting for Spirited Away and they were talking about um, sort of f- feeding the, the dragon and how it should feel like trying to give a pill to a dog. Um, but all of the animators in the room um, had cats, so they couldn't relate. <laughs> um, you know, but but that that was uh, interesting to me. You know, and and you really feel it in these movies. I think in, in the final that even even when something really uh, fantastical is happening, like you feel that connection to something that you can sink your teeth into because it feels you know close. If you and it feels natural, like um, that's that extra level of attention. And, and that was interesting to me, you know, that that's not just, that doesn't just happen. You know, you have to have a conversation with, with everyone, with the, with the people that are actually going to be handling that movement and say, you know, this is, this is how this needs to move. This is what's happening here. This is what I imagine happening here. And not just, you know, this is what I think, but like, where, what's your connection to that? You know, when have you fed a pill to a, to, to a dog, um, you know, and, and what was your takeaway when you had that experience? You know, that, that's something that's really interesting that, that I would always try to do is if we were coming at something, you know, that, that I felt I, I, I could see sort of what, what even this very fantasy thing was connected to, you know, personally, um, that wasn't enough. Like I'd also have to share that with the people that were going to execute that. And, um, and try and find, try and build this bridge where someone else had had either a similar experience or, or maybe a totally different experience that they could then tell me about that would make its way into the final product. So you're not sending all your animators out to go and like feed dogs random things to like really get in the mood. <laughs> I'm trying to think of, uh, yeah. I mean, sometimes like, you know, I went out to, so my, my brother Stephen was the lead background designer for some time and, you know, we, we did, we wanted to do like some, some scenes that were, you know, out in certain places in nature or out in the desert, you know, we would have things inspired by places that we had, we had actually been, I, I guess this is also the episode, the question was like related to a trip we had actually taken. Um, you know, so, so sometimes there were things that we were talking about or, or relating about um, that were based on, you know, experience that we had actually had and, and shared. I think when, you know, when we got deep enough into the show, new things were happening that we were then writing about. And because we were working all the time, those things were happening between us. So we could just say, well, you remember when this happens, will we'll be something like this. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's, it's almost hard to remember because, because we just had to work so quickly. Um, you know, I, I don't know if we were able to, you know, we couldn't, we couldn't treat each moment with that level of attention. You know, again, that's sort of the difference between, um, uh, sort of being able to 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 really massage a film versus um, the, t- the television animation pipeline. Sometimes you just need to really, really move <laughs> really quickly. Um, and, but I think because of that, you know, we, well, we would still discuss, you know, what moments would be. We, we have this process called breakdowns where it's like we have the storyboard and then um, we sit down and this is going to get really 
dry, but this is the real, this is the real thing. <laughs> you know, you, you take the entire storyboard and having that, you know, executing that from there, you have a breakdown meeting, which is that, you know, you look at each panel of the board and you say, okay, this is how many characters are in the scene. This is how many, this is how many props are in the scene. This is what the background is in this scene. You have to do that for every, every scene. Uh, you know, and then, and that's when you make the kind of choices where it's like, you know, this tree is swaying in the wind. Is it, is it a, so is it a prop? It's not a background element because it's going to have to move like that. That's an example of like a choice you would have to make. Um, you know, and then that's also where you discuss things, you know, that there could be a very rough indication of a, you know, of a meadow or something. And then that's the, the time when you tell uh, the, the background department, like, oh, this is an exceptionally beautiful meadow and the wildflowers are yellow. You know, that's something that you, you have to explain at a certain point and it would happen you know, usually at the breakdown, hopefully at the breakdown so that it doesn't get made. And then you see, it and you go, Oh, these are supposed to be yellow flowers. You know, you, you want to get out ahead of everything. Um, anyway, that again, I'm in television animation. So that's sort of part of the process so that we just are, are moving quickly and getting everything figured out and organized as fast as possible. Um, and I, I would hope that there's a little more massaging time for a feature. I'd love to find out some, someday. <laughs> Well, I mean, talking about doing things as fast as possible, we uh, we haven't mentioned Mr. Takes 13 Years to Make a Film, Isao Takahata, who is the, <laughs> the other key um, uh-huh. man at Ghibli. And uh, I'd love to just ask you about what, what his films might mean to you, as we've spoken quite a bit about Miyazaki. I think of of all of his films, I was really, really blown away for, for by Kaguya, Kill Princess Kaguya. I was really moved by it. Um, and I actually, you know, I saw that around the same time that I saw Wind Rises, um, you know, because they were coming out. And I was really, really, it was really interesting to see, because both of those films felt so much like they were about um, working at the studio. And the contrast in the, in the, also, just it's just beautiful visually. I think that the choices that were being made there are, are, are staggeringly beautiful. Um, but uh, I, I thought the difference was really interesting. Wind Rises really was saying, um, you know, it's just about the it's just about the work. At the end of the day, it's not really about whether or not it's going to hurt people or what impact it's going to have. It's just about the process of doing the work. Um, and I appreciate that people just let me do that work. <laughs> like you really feel that message. Uh, but then there's this like yearning in Kaguya, um, you know, that feels like, oh, I, I, I filled this role. I, I had to, but what if I had run away? What if I had done something else? What if I had lived, you know, this full life instead of doing all these things that I was meant to do? And will I even remember that I did these things and, and will, at the end of the day, will I remember, you know, these powerful moments of, of beauty and human contact more than, more than the, all of the things that I was supposed to do. Um, just it, it felt like worlds apart in terms of reflecting on these long, long careers, but, but both of them very, very moving. But I was really, really moved um, by Princess Kaguya. Uh, and I think also I was feeling very, um, underwater at work at the time and, and something about what that film was saying just got right in 
right into that nerve for me. I think uh, Wind Rises less so because that was really about this kind of methodical focus, which I wasn't sure if I was um, on top of or even continuing to see the meaning in at that moment. And then, and then Kaguya, I think, just, just really hit a different chord. Um, and I just thought it was so beautiful. I've, I've kind of like Millennium Actress, I've only seen it once because it made me cry. So I need to return to, to it. And I may be remembering it in a very, very distorted lens of a moment in my life where I was in a really rough place. Um, but it just hit me really hard uh, right then. And yeah, he's a genius, of course. Well, we, we've been on the hunt for what we can do now that we've done uh, Studio Ghibli. Um, gosh, well, I, I think it would be awesome. Um, I'd, I'd love your thoughts on Masaki Yasu's films. I mean, if, if you haven't seen Mind Game, um, and and also, you know, the, just the work of Sayansaru is, is really uh, fascinating and very different. Uh, if you're looking for something new, that, that might be something to check out. Um, yeah, I think that there's such a, such an amazing studio and, and I got, I got a chance to visit Science Faru years ago, I think in 2015. Um, and so much of it really reminded me of the independent animation studios that exist in New York city, like just really, um, alive with ideas and very small. I mean, at the time it was like a big long table. I think it was essentially in a kitchen where everyone was working at, at eight at night. Um, I'm, I'm trying to remember what, I think it might've been Lou over the wall that they were working on at the time. Um, but just really, really cool ideas coming out of that studio. I, I feel like I barely got to talk about Ghibli. I, we didn't even talk about Porco Rosso, which is another one of my favorite movies of all time. And that's, that, that's my favorite. It's so good. And the, I, I honestly really liked, the dub also, and Rose's voice, um, I really wanted to work with Susan Egan because of her uh, Gina dub, which I loved her dub for that character. I mean, I love that character in general. I actually have a cell of Gina um, from the film that I framed um, that I got, <laughs> got it from a vendor at Comic-Con from the sequence where she's uh, telling Curtis that Americans don't understand love. It's like one of my favorites <laughs> of all time in anything. Um, I feel so lucky to have stumbled on this cells, like the, the pride of my collection. <laughs> my very, very small. Basically, I don't have I don't have many cells, but that one I have. And, and um, gosh, oh my gosh, there's just there's so many. I mean, Porco Rose was amazing. Have you seen Future Boy Conan? No, no, we haven't. So there can be on the pile of uh, what to cover next time as well. You can, you've got to check it out because you can see the origins of so many things. Like there's so many ideas in Castle in the Sky that are in Future Boy Conan and, and you know, predated and existing in Future Boy Conan. Um, and then it's just, it's a series. So they just have so much time to expand on so many of these ideas. And, and you know, it's, it's, it's amazing. It's post-apocalyptic. It's just like it's all these themes about um, the way that people, you know, used and abused energy that are, it's sort of staggering um, and frustrating to know that these conversations were happening in the seventies. Cause we're, you know, really experiencing the hubris and the fallout now and we're 10 and 20 years ago. And, you know, uh, and it's so good. I was reading in um, the book Miyazaki world that there's a lot in um, 
due to Boikonan in, in terms of like the, the wasteland spaces and the water spaces that you can see carry through into Naushka and the, the Naushka manga yeah. as well. There's so much there. And the characters are so great. I mean, it's just, um, it's so good. And and no one had taught, this is the other thing that frustrated me is, so I watched it when I, I had just graduated college and I, and I found a copy of it and I knew it, I had known it had existed. And I was like, I don't hear people like, is this good? Like, I don't hear people say this is good. Um, but I felt like I should definitely watch this because this is, you know, all, all of these guys are working on this thing before all of these other films that I love. And I watched it, it's like, it completely blew my mind. I was, I was so invested in it. I was like shouting at the screen. I mean, it was just so, so good. So I, I, ever since I've felt the strong urge to spread the word. Future Boy Conan is amazing. Everyone should watch it because I don't know why people didn't tell me. I just had to figure it out on my own. Um, you know, it's just it's so it's so 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 good. And and just to to see sort of the the moments where they're first discovering a lot of these ideas is is just incredible. I, I think on that recommendation we might have to wrap up because uh, we, we've stolen a lot of your time there, Rebecca. But it's it's been such a pleasure talking Ghibli with you. Thank you for having me. I love getting a chance to talk about to talk about animation. Thank you so much to Rebecca Sugar for talking with us today. And thanks, Jake and Steph, for this interview. It's been blowing my mind. I mean, I'm really old, so Cartoon <laughs> Network to me is Johnny Bravo and the Powerpuff Girls. It's the 90s. <laughs> I completely missed out on the whole Adventure Time, Steven Universe era. And it sounds like I really need to catch up. So, Steph, I'm on board. I'm sold. Where should I start with Steven Universe? I would say just start at the beginning really because this is such a show that has an overarching narrative um and it really benefits from watching kind of from start to end obviously there are kind of standout episodes where you can just dip in and out um but yeah if you just start series one episode one and just work your way the way all the way through every episode is 10 minutes you'll be through it in no time and it's yeah really really special so let me know when you've done that. Well, I'm not going out much right now. So <laughs> Steven Universe could be a pretty good end of 2020 project. Do, do you think we could do a half an hour podcast for each 10 minute episode of it? And then we can just keep this running for years and years. Yes. <laughs> now that is not the end of our Whispers from the Heart podcast series. We've got one more episode to come and that is with Mike Jones who's a writer on Pixar's upcoming Soul, which is going to be on demand very, very soon. And he's been a writer behind the scenes at Pixar, but also worked on the English language versions of The Wind Rises and The Tale of the Princess Kaguya. And we are very excited to just get into the world of writing a Studio Ghibli film, which is not the kind of thing we've ever really been able to get into. Until then, you can keep up with us on Twitter at Ghibliatech or send us an email at ghibli at little.studios.com. And you can follow all of us on Twitter. You can find Steph at underscore Steph Watts. You can find Michael at Michael J. Leader. And you can follow Jake at Jake H. Cunningham. Ghibliotech is a Little Dot Studios production. 
Our music is made by Anthony Ng. Our artwork is by Sophie Moe. And Jamie Maisner is our audio wizard. The show is produced by Michael Leader, Jake Cunningham, Steph Watts and Harold McShiel. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.